Welcome to the OT and IoT Security Podcast, where we help you make sense of the cyber threat landscape. I'm your host, Sandra Keen, and with me today is Ivan Speziali. He's one of the very talented security researchers at Nozomi Networks Labs. The lab's team keeps its eye on the ever-changing cyber threat landscape, which has been extremely active recently. They analyze new attacks, they research device vulnerabilities, and they help protect organizations by continually updating the Nozomi Network's threat intelligence service with their new threat insights. Yvonne, when I read the news each day, it seems like the sky is falling. There are new vulnerabilities being found or ransomware attacks happening every day. Is it really that bad? Hi, Sandra. Uh, first, uh, thank you for the kind introduction. And uh, yeah, uh, so this last week was particularly bad. And uh, sometimes, yeah, it's quite difficult to keep up with uh, everything. I'm sure. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened in the last few days? There were a couple of new vulnerabilities and attacks. I think it was there was a print nightmare uh, and also the Kaseya attack. So, uh, yeah. Let's start first with the so-called pre-nightmare vulnerabilities. Uh, What happened is that uh, on last uh, Patch Tuesday in June, Microsoft released uh, a patch for a vulnerability that uh, essentially affected the print spooler component of Windows. When you mention in the same sentence, Windows print spooler and vulnerability, you'll definitely raise some eyebrows, uh, specifically if you talk with people like us in the ICS context. And that's because uh, uh, one of the vulnerabilities that uh, Stuxnet was using uh, back in the day was actually targeting this very component, the Windows Print Spooler. And uh, even today, uh, if you take uh, uh, the attack surface uh, exposed by a Windows operating system, the Print Spooler is pretty interesting because uh, uh, if, uh, uh, if you find a vulnerability and you manage to exploit it, like in this case, you actually get uh, system privileges. And uh, what happened specifically in, in this case was that uh, the um, patch that Microsoft released in June was defining this uh, uh, vulnerability as a privilege escalation. So still very important, but not like uh, the end of the world. But then a few days later, what happened is that uh, they updated the description and uh, the privilege escalation actually became a remote code execution. And this is where it started to become a little bit more interesting because uh, let's say the vector uh, completely changed. And this, uh, I believe at this stage, uh, there has been some miscommunication between uh, the parties involved, or at least this is what I gathered between uh, Microsoft and the researchers, because uh, the researchers, once once they saw this uh, this report, uh, they thought that uh, the vulnerabilities that they submitted were was patched actually, and then they went on and publishing some details a POC. Uh, such that anybody could gather these details and uh, create uh, a better proof of concept. But it turned out that actually Microsoft uh, did patch another vulnerability. So uh, the one that was released by the researcher was actually a zero day and was released uh, to anybody with an internet connection. And uh, the reason why people are worried is because uh, um, this attack surface, the Windows uh, print spooler is a often exposed uh, by domain controllers. And uh, as we've, uh, let's say, um, understood uh, in the last uh, few years, 
uh, when you take all the ransomware attacks, like the Kaseya one that we're going to talk uh, uh, pretty soon about, they tend to go after domain controllers because uh, actually they are just like the, the gateway to all uh, uh, the assets of your company. And that's why people uh, were really scared about the situation. Well, that sounds like a really serious problem for the security community overall. So what should they do now, given that the remote code execution is out there? So uh, in general, I believe that the, the rule of thumb is that uh, an exploit or even two shouldn't really uh, entirely degrade your security posture. Uh, this situation happened in the past, will probably happen in the future, or happening today. So the key here is that you have to design the security process of your organization with these possibilities taken in account. So you, you have to think about what if uh, a vulnerability like this one uh, is released into the, in the wild? What can I do? And so on and so forth. So having said that, when a situation like this one uh, happens, the first thing is that you need to get the important facts straight uh, such that you can actually assess the impact and the possible mitigation that could uh, be put in place by your security team. This means uh, essentially to avoid all the gossips about who did what to whom that often in the security community uh, is rampant in this stage, essentially because it doesn't bring any value. In this very case, uh, essentially we had uh, both a remote code execution and a local privilege escalation. And this is what you need uh, to know to start your, uh, your work. Then you need to understand uh, how you can mitigate the impact of these vulnerabilities. And then uh, you need to present some options to the decision makers such that uh, you can actually uh, take some decisions that are informed. So maybe you, you are willing to, uh, um, to take the risk of not uh, apply a mitigation because maybe is uh, breaking a, a, a critical functionality of your system. But again, the key here is uh, gather the, the important facts straight and take a decision based on, uh, on, uh, on these facts. The other thing that's what, that was uh, a little bit, let's say, unfortunate about uh, the pre-nightmare situation is that it happened in the weekend of the 4th of July. So uh, you can imagine that, uh, as particularly, obviously, in the, in the US, Maybe not all the security teams were available. Maybe many were already on holiday. So the, the schedule here did, didn't play uh, in favor of the defenders. And uh, the other thing that is really important when uh, an event like this one happens is that uh, while a part of your defending team uh, needs to understand uh, uh, the facts, uh, the mitigation, and so on and so forth, Another part should actually start hunting for uh, attackers that might have used or might be using these vulnerabilities. And uh, this means understanding the footprints, uh, the, the leftovers that uh, an exploit and then uh, uh, the typical post-exploitation activity uh, leaves on a system. And uh, this is essentially uh, a very generic uh, plan, but uh, actually it sort of works. So this attack really highlights the need to prepare for a breach before it happens. Um, and it also seems like there's a little bit of room for improvisation on in our response when incidents like this actually happen. 
So, uh, yeah, in a sense, uh, we always say that security, it's a process after all, so built on top of specific building blocks that you need to understand how to compose. But then there are so much, so many uh, number of corner cases that you touch in this line of work that, that you definitely need some good improvisation because uh, it allows you uh, to solve the puzzles that uh, you're faced with. So the labs team was really busy analyzing these this high impact print spooler vulnerability when news about a new wave of ransomware started circulating. Can you tell us what happened in this one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So while we researchers were figuring out what uh, could happen with those vulnerabilities, and then all of a sudden a major ransomware attack took place that had nothing to do with the Windows print spooler. So uh, right now we don't have all the details on the percent on uh, what happened, but this is uh, what we gathered so far. So, and we're talking obviously about the Kaseya attack. So let's say you're a small business or even a medium to large business, depending on how you structure your company strategy, you might want to obviously outsource part of your IT to a managed service provider, an MSP. An MSP obviously needs some software to manage the computer of its customer remotely. But the MSP is in the business of providing a service. They don't do the software development on their own. And they buy this software from other companies like Kaseya. So you have an MSP that bought Kaseya VSA software on-premise, which was the target of this attack, which is a product that actually allows you to manage computers remotely. The way this product works essentially is that uh, there is a server that is installed within the environment of the MSP. And then you have an agent that is installed in the endpoints that belong to the MSP customers. Through this agent, the MSP can manage these endpoints and you can probably see where this is going. So, Essentially, what, happen is, what, what happens theoretically is that if an attacker can uh, gather an access to a VSA server, it's going to be able to exploit the trust relationship that exists between the server and the agent. And thus, it's going to be able to deploy anything on the targets, the endpoints in this case. And guess what? This is precisely what happened with the Kaze attack. We don't know with 100% accuracy, the, all the different stages uh, that uh, required this attack to be successfully. Initially, it was thought that it was done SolarWinds styles where the supply chain uh, of the developer of the software uh, was uh, compromised. But uh, by the evidences that are emerging in the, in the last few days, we can say that Probably uh, there were quite a few VSA servers exposed to the internet and that the attacker had a remote pre-authentication exploit that was, was using. So essentially these attackers were uh, compromising one by one all the VSA servers that uh, each MSP had exposed on the internet. And once they gather access to these uh, VSA servers, they were able then to compromise the business that were actually the customer of the MSP. We're talking about uh, between 800 and 1500 businesses worldwide. Again, this is a very interesting uh, uh, effect of this situation because it doesn't have um, 
specific geography, but it's pretty well distributed. And we have some spotlight cases like the one of Coop supermarket in Sweden, when uh, based on what I've read, <laughs> we had uh, uh, several hundreds of uh, this shop that had to close immediately because uh, the, the, the post endpoint didn't work anymore. So they couldn't build the customers. And uh, yeah, uh, it's as crazy as it gets, uh, let's say. So uh, in order to be, uh, let's say a little bit more practical, the questions I believe that an asset owner should ask uh, himself at this stage are, let's say two or three. And the first one obviously is, uh, do you fully understand uh, the trust relationship that your operation relies upon? Because um, when we see at this, uh, what happened with this Kazei attack and others, it's pretty obvious that there were some issues like uh, if only one system goes down, the whole business is going to, uh, to close. But ma many organizations do not do that, or they don't do. Uh, another thing is uh, once you identify the actors involved in the trust relationships that essentially keep your business afloat, uh, you have to think about how the vetting process took place. Does this vetting process give you enough confidence as of today? Because the, the, as, we, as we've seen, this world is changing at uh, a pretty fast pace. So a very, let's say, cheap uh, suggestion that uh, any security team or network administrator uh, can do is at least to perform some sort of tabletop exercises when uh, you do this sort of threat modeling and try to understand the consequences of uh, one of your, uh, of, uh, of your uh, software supplier or any, uh, part in the supply chain being compromised. So Ivan, I mean, we've seen the consequences of attacks like this. You know, it can be in the case of, you know, hundreds of shops being closed and it can cause millions of dollars in losses for some organizations that are having to shut down. And we're seeing more and more of these ransomware attacks happening. So why, why, are, they, why are they so frequent these days? So yeah. I have uh, some theories, uh, uh, and there are several, I think. Uh, mostly, and the one we should all focus uh, on, is that there is a lot of technical debt around. Uh, and you're going to receive this sort of uh, uh, response to anybody who has done some serious penetration tests or read the team's activity against any company of uh, medium to big size. And uh, you also see the same recurring issues over and over. There are some technologies like, like uh, Active Directory, which are probably too complicated for too many organizations to be run securely. So you need a lot of skills. Maybe only Microsoft can do that safely. Who knows? <laughs> the other thing is uh, the ransomware uh, as a service uh, operation model is extremely efficient. So you have a group that is focusing on the initial assets, another group that is char in charge of the further compromising the target and then deploy the ransomware. Then you have the developers of the platforms, the negotiator, it just works. And essentially it's exposing this technical debt that uh, companies have. The other thing is that uh, modern ransomware was I believe for quite a while, largely underestimated 
I think it didn't help to label this phenomenon as ransomware because people, people probably associate it to the old modus operandi where uh, you would receive an executable in your email and if you would click, it would encrypt your endpoint. Uh, and it's a very different phenomenon. We, we should probably use another word. And uh, yeah, the, 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 I think the last obvious point is that uh, now there is a reliable way for this organization to cash out on their activities. And if you put all these things together, you have um, uh, the modern ransomware operation essentially. Wow. So you and the rest of the labs team are really kept hopping these days. What else is Nozomi Networks doing to help the security community? Yeah, uh, so uh, indeed there is uh, so much stuff going on uh, this day and it doesn't seem to get any better. So on our side, we, we try to, do, to share our knowledge, uh, all the new things that we find with our customer first, but also with the community at large. And uh, not only specific findings, but also way in which we think uh, this uh, security problem can be approached at large. For instance, one of the uh, suggestions that we always try to give uh, to ourselves as well is that organization needs to be agile, okay? Because the modern threats are agile and you cannot uh, uh, be outpaced because otherwise it's game over. For our team, it's a challenge obviously, and uh, essentially it translates to expanding the team finding new talented researchers and put them in condition to thrive in this environment, which can be complicated, but uh, has a lot of rewards. Well, thank you, Yvonne, for helping us understand what's going on in the cyber threat landscape these days, particularly around the print nightmare vulnerabilities and the Kaseya ransomware attack. I invite our listeners to check out the other podcasts in this series. And if you love hunting down threats and sharing threat intelligence, please take a look at the career section on the Nozomi Networks Labs website for information on open positions on the Labs team. It sounds like Yvonne could use your help. Thanks again, Yvonne. Thank you, Sandra.